everybody, and welcome back to another exciting episode of Podcast by Committee, the Athletics uh, podcast, where we bother a beat writer for 40 minutes about their team. And today's lucky contestant is uh, the Athletic Jacksonville's Philip Heilman. Philip, thanks for joining us, man. Hey, no problem. Looking forward to it. You are in the uh, in the thick of awesome. I don't. Do you, do you play? Uh, do you play fantasy? Do you know how awesome this team is right now? I love fantasy. I've uh, I've got two leagues that I really care about. One's a dynasty league that I've been doing with college friends since you know like the last ten years, and then one's a little bit bigger money league with uh, some sort of a couple of friends and some guys I don't really know. But yeah, so I'm pumped. I've got both my fantasy drafts Wednesday night, so I'm ready. I want to learn some today that I can use to win some leagues. <laughs> the brain picking is going to be going in the opposite direction here, man. I'm sorry. I thought I was feel, feel free to, to ask when we're done. <laughs> anything, anything you want to know, ask me. And we got Michael Beller, our producer, who's on silent mic right now, who can also chime in. He's, uh, I'm pretty sure, he's been nominated for fantasy awards too. So, yeah, I've got a lot of questions, but I'll, I'll try to do some answering. Maybe afterward, I can. Uh, give you a few questions, uh, pick your brain a little bit, because uh, I've got some tough uh, decisions to figure out over the next uh, day or so. Well, what's your big one? In my keeper league, I've got uh, got to keep three guys. Two of them are Melvin Gordon and Antonio Brown. Do I risk keeping them? Well, who's your third? Uh, Saquon. Oh, all right. All right. You know what? I, I think Antonio Brown's going to be fine. Uh, you know, this is just dumb me, but uh, um, I, I think half of it's for show and half of it's just to not have to play and half of it's to – kind of do his own thing with his feet i do i do understand the helmet thing though this actually makes sense to me so uh i don't know man if you just i, I think in 10 years people are gonna look back at this and be like the guy was just looking out for his health that's like his helmet you know yeah it's risky especially if when you talk start talking about like vision and if i mean who knows what you can really believe uh with antonio brown because so much comes out but if you really do feel like your vision is impacted not just catching the ball but just feeling comfortable in the field that that's like a legitimate concern I get it, man. Like as a guy who used to wear rec specs playing basketball, uh, the, day, <laughs> the day I got my contact lenses, it was I, I got like thirty percent better. So I can totally understand if his helmet is good for him and he's Antonio Brown. Like let him wear his helmet, you know? Yeah, I'm totally on board. Whatever gets him through uh, sixteen games for fantasy, uh, I'm fired up about. Yeah, I mean the dude showed up in a hot air balloon. He knows the hard knocks cameras are on. I'm, you know, I'm I'm okay. I like him a lot as a keeper. Melvin Gordon, I, like, do you have? Are there limits on this, or is it like a you keep forever? Uh, so this is the last year. So we do it where you keep for three years, and then the fourth year everybody goes back in. So it's not a true dynasty league, but sort of uh, you know just a modified keeper league. But my other options are like Melvin Ingram and, or uh, excuse me, uh, Mark Ingram in Baltimore and Zach Ertz in Philly. Which keeping a tight end is a little risky, although I do love him. But I feel like I've got to keep Melvin Gordon just hope. I don't know, man. I would trade Gordon for a draft pick to a lesser team and hold on to Ertz, actually. See, this is what I could we be wrong. Yeah. I, no, I no, could you, be wrong. You told me. That's, this <laughs> is my new just... strategy. I'm doing it. I'm going. I'm going to, as soon as we get off here, I'm calling everybody in my league and I'm offering Melvin Gordon. And if it works, uh, beer's on me next time you're in Jacksonville. Well, all right. I'm in. Done. <laughs> uh, you know, you could always just slack like Vincent Bonsignore and ask him, right? Oh, wait, is he the Rams guy? Yeah, he's, he's the Rams. Rams. It's, uh, yeah, Dan Popper, who's uh, who's formerly oh, yeah, in Jacksonville. The, yeah, so yeah, he I was, he was very, your predecessor. I know. I've been trying to. I've been trying to get some inside information, but uh, it's. I don't know that anybody really knows for sure right now. It's tough. No, I don't think anyone does. Oh well. So, uh, we'll speaking see, of which, <laughs> yeah, here's a per- here's a perfect segue for you. Um, your team man is rife with questions, and I, I think like uh, maybe I don't know if you're feeling it too as a fantasy player, but like. 
from Fournette to Foles to what John DiFilippo can do with this offense to you know, how much influence does Doug Marone actually have on the offense? You know, all the way down to like Terrell Pryor. Is he going to make the team? Um, I got a billion questions for you now, now that I've answered your one. <laughs> Let's do it. All right. Oh, by the way, uh, you can follow Philip at Philip underscore Heilman, H E I L M A N. And I suppose he, he does the Philip Lindsay spelling, not the Philip Rivers spelling. So uh, two L's in there in the first name. Um, let's go. Number one, I, I think we just start with Nick Foles and work our way down this offense. Um, but Nick Foles is, is, has you know a career of unevenness, I guess. Uh, but he can chuck the deep ball. And I was reading one of your stories where, um, man, I think I think it was uh, Chris Conley was saying like we just got four guys who were going to burn and take the top off an offense. Um, is this an offense that's playing to Nick Foles' strength, and is he going to be like a huge sleeper this year at quarterback? So I have some legitimate questions whether this team is built to allow Nick Foles to play to his strengths. And that when you saw him in Philadelphia, it was an offense that threw to the tight end a lot and threw to the running backs quite often. And the Jags just right now are not built to do either one of those things. Uh, At tight end, they've had a lot of injuries. Josh Oliver was a third-round pick for them in April. Really interesting guy, I think, for you know several years down the line. But he's had a hamstring injury. He's been out. I think he'll be back for week one. But just still to ask a rookie tight end to come in and do a whole lot in year one, even without an injury, is a big ask. So that, to me, is concerning. They signed Jeff Swaim, a guy who's had injury concerns as well in his career. He's been in a walking boot for the last couple of weeks. I believe he's out now, but hasn't practiced. So not a ton of depth or real top-level talent at tight end, which to me is a concern. And then at running back, I was talking to, I asked John Filippo about that on Monday, in that if you look at the Jaguars running backs room, which is totally remade from last year, Corey Grant's gone, TJ Yeldon's gone, Carlos Hyde is gone. Basically, it's only Leonard Fournette and a collection of guys who do a lot of similar things as Leonard Fournette. They drafted Raquel Armstead in the fifth round out of Temple. He's sort of a, a bruiser, very similar to me back in Leonard Fournette. Uh, they bring in Alfred Blue, who's not a typical third down guy. They bring in Thomas Rawls, also not a typical third down guy. So you look at the roster and it's, okay, Leonard Fournette looks to be the third down back here in terms of he looks like he's probably the best with the ball in his hands catching out of the backfield. He's gotten a, you know progressively better in pass protection. So I asked Defolo about that. How do you balance you know your top guy probably being your best suited to be on third down with not just totally burning the guy out? And you know he did say it's still sort of a learning experience, but also he said, look, Leonard Fournette's a star player, and star players are on the field for a lot of plays, and that's what we expect of him. He is going to drive this offense, and that has been consistent rhetoric from Defolo since essentially the moment he was hired. So. That's a long-winded answer, but I do. I wonder, you know, if they have the tight ends and running backs to really allow uh, Nick Foles to do the things he wants to do. But certainly with the receivers, they've got some guys who do want to take the top off the defense. I do think that Chris Conley and D.D. Westbrook are two guys who I would be targeting in you know mid to later rounds because I think they're a little underrated overall. But the tight ends and running backs to me are a concern. Um, so thank you. You just knocked out like six of my questions, but I'm going to yeah. go back to many. <laughs> you just answered all of them at once. Um, cause there was, a, there was, I would go back to Fournette for a second. There was a quote in one of your stories, um, where Fournette was saying, it's just kind of just like in the middle of it. It's he's like, Oh yeah, I'm a natural catcher. Um, is that, is that just him, you know, being confident or, or does he actually look good catching these passes out of the backfield? No, he really does look good. I'll give him that. I've got about a million questions about Leonard Fournette from work ethic to, injury concerns to just general you know demeanor around the facility but I do think that he is an underrated pass catcher I think when he came out of LSU he just wasn't asked to do that a lot so there were a lot of questions 
you know, does he have bad hands? Is he, you know, good in that role? And he caught 36 passes as a rookie in 13 games. Last year, only played eight games, but still 22 catches. He's averaged 8.4 yards per reception both years, so that's pretty solid and consistent. You know pretty much what you're getting in him. And to me, you know, he's got 58 catches in two years. It would not surprise me at all if he's near that number just this year if he can stay healthy, which is always the caveat. He's a guy who is good in space. He knows what to do, you know, not just in the screen game, but in checkdowns. He gets upfield quickly, which is something that uh, Tom Coughlin really uh, preaches. You know, we don't really get to hear from him much, but they don't like guys who go east and west. They like the north-south style, which Fournette is, you know, pretty good at with the ball in his hands on carries. But also, I think, catching the ball. I think that's an area that they're really going to use him in, which to me then just goes back to the question, okay, if he's if he's on the field for a lot of third downs, how do you bounce? How do you, you know, not keep from burning him out on first and second down? That's a question that the Jaguars have to continue to answer. I think Raquel Armstead will play a big part in that. But I do think Leonard Fournette could be a guy who catches 50 or 60 passes this year and wouldn't surprise me if he gets into the end zone a few times that way. Yeah, I share a team uh, with Jake Seeley here. We we did a we did a draft together, and he was like pushing Armstead so far up the draft board, uh, just based on you know Fournette's. This is before like all these John DeFilippo quotes. This is at FSGA in like early June, so it was, it was before like you know DeFilippo was like, yeah, we're gonna use him a lot, we're gonna throw to him a lot, and it was the, the injury concerns. This was just Jake saying, you know, there's no one else. Like basically what you said, like, there's like no one else, and yet, like Alfred Blue's in a walking boot, so it's just kind of you know, it seems like Armstead is maybe like a handcuff plus a little bit, maybe. Like oh, he's for not sure. Gonna, yeah. 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 In that, like, okay, you've almost, if you're just, if you're going to draft Leonard Fournette, you're probably getting, where's he going now? Like end of the second, early third, like that. Yeah. He's, he's floating around the 20, 25, 26 ish ADP. Right. So you're expending a, you know, an important resource on him, but you've got to bake in that he's going to miss some time. He missed three games his rookie year. He missed eight games last year. So let's just say, he misses somewhere between two and four games. To me, Armstead is the guy to own. You, He's a must-have to me because Alfred Blue, to me, sort of just a guy. Thomas Rawls, another – I mean, he's had some juice in the offseason program. He's had some juice in training camp, that sort of thing. But, I mean, he wasn't even in the league last year. So – and they're going to keep four running backs. So it's going to be those two. It's going to be Fournette, and it's going to be Armstead, too, who uh, you know has looked – you know, I think the most decisive runner among the reserves. He had a concussion that he just got back from earlier this week, but I think he'll be a full go. I think we'll expect to see him Thursday night in Miami. Um, but yeah, I think if Fournette were to miss a stretch of two or three games, I think you would see, particularly if it's like mid to late season, I think Armstead's the guy who you could see getting 12 to 18 carries in a game more so than, you know, Alfred Blue. Because, I mean, listen, there's some long-term strategies at play here in that, if Fournette comes out and has another stinker like he did last year, there's a good chance this is his last year in Jacksonville. They've already voided his future guarantees. That's a fight that they continue to have, but I, they feel confident they're not going to have to pay them. So they can essentially move on from Leonard Fournette with no financial consequences. And if they feel Armstead is a guy who can do uh, a pretty good imitation of what they want from Leonard Fournette, it doesn't make a lot of sense to keep around a guy if he uh, you know, has two consecutive bad seasons, even if he was the fourth overall pick a few years ago. So... To me, Armstead is a guy they're going to get a long look at uh, at some point if Fournette goes down, if the season starts to slip away a little bit. I think you're going to see Armstead on the field quite a bit uh, if something goes wrong. So to me, if you draft Leonard Fournette, you better be going and getting Armstead, you know, even if it's a round or two earlier than you might want to. Gotcha. Um, I want to move on to uh, to John Filippo, And before we get into like his his philosophy, uh, I guess is, is there is there a lot of Doug Marone influence on this offense? Because I would like – 
I grew up in Syracuse, so I'm an SU fan. And I remember when he came and like revived the program and he was doing these crazy trick plays and it was him and Nathaniel Hackett, like kind of working hand in hand, uh, you know, just, you know, RPOs, running backs, throwing things, just crazy stuff. And he came from New Orleans and I was like, oh, this is, this is a big deal. He was like part of this New Orleans offense that was scoring 40 points a game. Um, so I would assume that Marone has some kind of influence on this, but DiFilippo, the work he did with Cleveland when they were like nothing, um, and the stuff he did last year with Thielen and Diggs, I, I just I was wondering if there, is there a clean DiFilippo thing here, or are they working in concert? How's this How's this offense going to work uh, between the two of them? Yeah, that's a really good question, and that we haven't seen any of the starters through two preseason games, so it's hard to you know get a real accurate gauge of what exactly this offense is going to look like. I think it's going to be a concert of the two and that, you know, we heard last year that, you know, John DeFilippo didn't really work in Minnesota because he was a little too pass heavy, that sort of thing. I, he had to have learned from that because you don't go from Minnesota to Jacksonville and expect different results with the same strategies and that he's not going to come here and throw the ball 30 times a game and get a pat on the back from Doug Murray and Tom Coughlin. It's just not going to work that way. So I do think you're going to see some influence on, uh, on the Jaguars running the ball more and DeFilippo, making that part of his offense. And that's why I think you have heard him pump up Leonard Fournette so often is that he realizes that the philosophy here, the overarching plan is still to be a physical smash mouth team. And that means running the football quite a bit. That said, I do think you're going to see a lot of 12 personnel with their tight ends are healthy. I think you're going to see a lot of, to me, DD Westbrook, a guy who I think can do a lot of really interesting things for them. He can work outside. He can work in the slot uh, in training camp. We've seen him come in motion, take, handoffs we've seen him come in motion and catch screens and do all, all kinds of fun wrinkles off of that so yeah Chris Conley said a couple weeks ago that they want to be able to take the top off the defense and they want to be able to throw deep and I think there will be some aspects of that if they can block which is a huge caveat because the offensive line could not stay healthy last year and has already had troubles now uh, but to me I think you're going to see a guy in DeFilippo who really takes advantage of D.D. Westbrook's ability to just do so many different things I think that's going to be what kind of unlocks DeFilippo's creativity and then everybody else, I think, is just going to be a, a mix of sort of falling in line. It'll be really interesting to see what exactly that looks like with DeFilippo calling plays under Marone. Is this um, a case of, I, I remember when we did the, the B-Writer Roundup, and we had a question for you about who's Nick Foles' favorite target. And you said it was Chris Conley, but, you know, D.D. Westbrook's starting to kind of heat up a little bit. Has that flipped now? Is D.D. Is Westbrook kind of emerging as the guy here in this offense? See, I still think Chris Conley is... Nick's favorite target in that they were together in Kansas City. They had a really good relationship. They talk after plays all the time in practice. They seem to see the defense in very similar ways. So in practice and from what we've been able to see so far, I do think that it's still Conley who has the best rapport with Foles. But I think Westbrook's the guy who can just do so many more things. I don't think you're going to necessarily see, you know, the Jaguars putting Conley in motion a lot and bringing him into the backfield and doing all kinds of different uh, fun, creative things. I think that's sort of Westbrook's, he's sort of their gadget play uh, guy. Okay. So I think that to me is just sort of the what distinguishes them a little bit. And that I still think Conley, right, right now, I think Conley probably leads the team in receptions, but I think Westbrook has more total offense, if that makes sense. Uh, yeah, well, in fantasy terms, I would say Westbrook's the guy you want. Conley's the guy who no one's looking at right now and you can get late and you probably should. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're going into the season and Conley's one of your flex options or, you know, maybe a number three receiver, depending on your league, I think he's going to be consistent for you. I don't think it's going to be, you know, Chris Conley has eight catches for 121 week and the next week it's two for 17. I think he's going to be a guy who's going to get 
four, five, six, seven targets a game. I think he's going to be somebody who he's a very good route runner. I think that's a little bit underrated in Kansas City in that they had so many options. But he was really good in the red zone last year. I think he's a guy who's going to be really good in the red zone again uh, for the Jaguars this year too. I mean, Chris Conley is so far buried down in ADP right now. He's 557th. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, his, I mean, his ADP technically is 291.2, but, you know, ranked by all this because of little miniature decimal differences. He's 557th in NFFC right now. Chris Conley, yes, I mean, you could, Chris yeah. Conley could be amazing, man. He very much could be the number one receiver in this offense. It's an offense that doesn't really have a number one, uh, but he's never even gotten 70 targets in a season. I would expect him to blow that away he's two years removed from the Achilles injury now he's really moved around well and he's feeling spunky man he got into a Jalen Ramsey they uh it was a few days ago in practice they went to the turf wrestling in the end zone after just several days of chirping back and forth so I think it's a guy who is really sort of feeling himself I think he understands his role in this offense he understands that he's got a really big opportunity probably the best of his career and certainly you have to you know for whatever volume increase there is, you've got to knock him from going from Kansas City's offense to, to Jacksonville. So it's obviously that's not a one-to-one transition either. Uh, but I think, you know, if there's a year to take a chance on Chris Conley, this is the one. All right. I'll put him on the list. Here's our list so far, just in case. This might help you, actually. Uh, for all these shows that we've done, I've just, whenever someone puts a very interesting name out there and is kind of very passionate about saying they're going to have a good year, uh, I bring out my little notepad and my phone and I write their name down. So. I'm ready. Let's do it. We got Dontrell Hilliard, uh, which kind of happened live when Duke Johnson was being traded. Uh, Zach had said, oh, Dontrell Hilliard. But before the trade, he was like, Hilliard's going to be some kind of influence. After the trade, he's like, Hilliard, yeah, you got to go get Hilliard. Um, Jalen Samuels in Pittsburgh, excellent route runner. Uh, Mark Caballi was saying great things about him. And uh, I think in a PPR league, especially, something good is going to happen there. Uh, I got Darius Shepard who wasn't even on my radar, uh, mentioned on a show. And I'm like, all right, I'll go check him out. And I grabbed him very late in like a 16-team draft that I did. Um, Tim Patrick out of Denver, I thought it was interesting. Uh, Nikki Javala had mentioned him in the context of we were asking about Cortland Sutton and Deshaun Hamilton. And she was saying good things about Tim Patrick. And last year she gave us Philip Lindsay. Before week one, she's like, look out for Philip Lindsay. It seems like he's a good part of this offense. So uh, she's gold. She's got <laughs> she's got the athletic fantasy gold now. Um, <laughs> Ryan Switzer was another name mentioned too. And then we just put Chris Conley on there. So that's the list. That is the deep sleeper list. I feel good about Chris Conley on that. I think he outperforms where he's being drafted. I love Jalen Samuels too. That's the guy, that's the sort of guy that like the Jaguars would really benefit from having like on the field. Like I think that sort of pass catching option would be fantastic. Obviously, Pittsburgh's not moving on from him by any means, but that's sort of the guy who it seems like is missing right now in the Jaguars offense. Was there any thought? Did you hear any buzz for Duke Johnson when that whole mess was going on? I I talked to people and it didn't really seem like that gathered any steam. They weren't paying that price that they uh, that the Texans paid, so I don't think that that really ever got off the ground. That to me was interesting. I was even like, would you go get a guy like Charkandrick West, who has caught like twenty five passes in three straight seasons from you know a couple of years there in Kansas City, and then he signed with Indianapolis. But now it didn't seem like the the Johnson thing really uh, generated a whole lot of steam. They must. They must just very, you know, really feel confident about Fournette catching passes out of the backfield. They're seeing something that I'm not, but uh, we'll see who's right. Well, I mean, Theo Riddick was out there, too, and I guess Darren Sproles for a little bit. I mean, like, there was, you know, Darren Sproles, Filippo, and had OC'd that offense, too, right? Yeah, I tweeted out they had Riddick, shots. Man. They had shots to bring that guy in. 
Yeah, exactly. Which to me is, okay, if you don't really kick the tires on a Theo Riddick, if you're not aggressive in Duke Johnson, then you just must not feel that that's going to be a big part of your offense. So maybe that's something to consider as well as, you know, we've seen Nick Foles target running backs and he's talked a lot about how that uh, is such an important part of his game. Maybe, maybe that's something you just have to take into account is that might not be as big a part of the offense because they haven't put a premium on that position. Right. This isn't just like coach speak. This is like the general manager and not like making these moves to get that guy who kind of, you know, on paper looks like is sorely missing. Yeah, exactly. And they've had several opportunities, as you mentioned. So we'll see. Um, there was a cool, there was a cool quote you had. It was in a recent article about, uh, how, how you mentioned just earlier, how the Jaguars aren't playing any of their starters until game three, but they're, they're ramping up a lot of their practices instead. Uh, the, the line was if Marone's plan works, the Jaguars will be healthier and have fresher legs come September 8th against Kansas city. If Marone's plan fails, they'll probably look sloppy and unprepared. Are you getting any kind of idea which way that's going to go? That's a million dollar question. I think Thursday night will, uh, give us a good indication of that. If the Jags offense, first team offense comes out and moves the ball well in Miami, you say, okay, probably not that big of a deal. He did increase the practice reps. Uh, you know, the first team offense, I think said, he said took, you know, roughly 60 first team, uh, you know, 11 on 11 reps in practice, which is an increase from where he's been in previous years. So I think that'd be really interesting to, to just see Thursday night is does Nick Foles come out and play well? Uh, do, does it feel like the offense has a rhythm? Does it feel like DeFilippo uh, gets into a rhythm calling plays? And a lot of that will really come down again to the offensive line, which doesn't usually, I mean, directly factor into fantasy purposes. But that's really where the Jaguar season went awry last year in that they didn't have good quarterback play in Blake Bortles, but they also just were decimated on, on the offensive line. They couldn't do anything they wanted to do, uh, you know, with or without Leonard Fournette. So, I think a big part of this uh, sort of strategy was to keep the offensive line healthy and that Brandon Linder at centers missed a bunch of games. Andrew Norwell came over last year, got a huge contract to play left guard, only played 11 games. Cam Robinson tore his ACL in week two of last year. They've got a rookie at right tackle. So all kinds of questions. To me, uh, it'll be interesting to see. It'll be fascinating to see on Thursday. How does the offensive line look? Can the offensive line just be adequate enough for the rest of the offense to function? Because last year, that was not the case. They've made a lot of changes. Uh, but we've still really yet to see it on the field, a final presentation. Which is, I mean, it's not crazy to me, but you think of Tom Coughlin and those Giants teams, and they always had great offensive lines. And Doug Marone came up as an offensive line coach. And, um, oh, crap, you know, I'm blanking on his name. The guy the Jaguars picked, the offensive lineman, who, who you know, Marone almost kind of resurrected his career, but he was like a bust for like three years before Marone got there. I'm not thinking of it. It'll hit me after Eric, the show. Eric Flowers? Yeah, that, that, was that it? Yeah, I guess that was it. Oh, no, no, no. It was, it was a Jaguars top draft pick from like five years ago who was just like injured and hurt and wasn't very oh, good. Uh, Luke Jokel? Yes, thank you. It was Jokel. Yeah. And I remember, I remember he, watching that, you know, the Syracuse connection to Marone. I was like, okay, offensive line guy. You know, this, he's going to fix this, and this team is going to be better than people think. Yeah, the injuries have been the uh, – they believe me, the offensive line has not been from a lack of trying. I mean, you can go across – Cam Robinson at left tackle was a second-round pick. Andrew Norwell at left guard came over. The, I think he had the biggest contract given to a guard at the time he signed it before last year. At center, Brandon Linder, they signed him to the biggest center deal. Right guard, A.J. Cannon was a third-round pick. He's competing right now with Will Richardson, who's a fourth-round pick. Jawan Taylor, right tackle, was a second-round pick this year. So they've expended resources there. It's just been a matter of health. And then you sort of start to wonder, okay, uh, is the technique bad? Is the medical staff not you know up to snuff? What's going on here? Because it hasn't been just one guy. It's been a lot of guys across the front. Really, AJ Ken 
AJ Kane was the only week one starter who made it to the season finale in Houston last year. So it's not been, you know, they've just been trying to patch this together with, you know, reclamation projects and, you know, trying to, you know, use resources in other places. They've expended a lot of money and a lot of resources on the offensive line, but it just hasn't paid off yet. Well, hopefully it works. I mean, this, this team going at full steam could be pretty awesome fantasy wise. And I, I think just like regular football wise, it's, it's, they're built like a kind of like a playoff team again. Yeah, they're it seems like, like that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you've got you've got less variance at quarterback now, which for years was the case. And to me, the defense, uh, I don't know that it has, like a lot of people are saying this is going to be the best defense in the NFL. And I don't know if it has like top two or three, a top two or three ceiling. To me, the ceiling might be more like four through seven, because I do have questions at linebacker. I do have questions at safety, but where they're good, they're phenomenal. Their defensive line is unbelievable. They've got so much talent there. You're adding a first round pick in Josh Allen to a group that was already you know, one of the best in the league. And then outside, you've got Jalen Ramsey and A.J. Boye. So to me, it should be a team that has a lot more sacks than last year. It was ridiculous how few sacks they had last year. Um, but there are some questions up the middle. So I I think they take a step in the right direction in that it would shock me if they don't win more than five games this year. But once you get to like seven, eight, nine wins, I think that totally comes down to sort of how do they play in the fourth quarter. They lost some winnable games last year. Can Nick Foles you know, sort of dust off some of that magic he had in Philly. Well, let me let me get a little deeper on this team then, because Terrell Pryor and DJ Chark to me, you know, if, if you if you didn't have D.D. Westbrook, and I'm just I'm totally pushing Marquise Lee off of this because it looks like and you've been speculating this he will be on the pup. He'll miss the first six weeks. And then when he comes back, who knows what it's going to look like? You know, by then Westbrook and Conley could have run off with this whole thing. But it seems like yeah. if you put Pryor and Sharks, oh, I'm sorry, is that wrong or? Is that okay? Oh no! Just no. I was just gonna say, just in a quick update, Marquise Lee did come off pup this week, um, oh, but okay. to me, it's but to me, it's still I'm avoiding him because I just don't think, uh, you know, if he plays in week one, which seems like a big ask, he's going to be on a snap count. To me, it's a guy who's probably not going to be right until at least October or November, if he's right at all this year. He talked earlier this week about still feeling some numbness above the ankle, that sort of thing. It was a major, major knee injury. So to me. For fantasy purposes, I, I'm probably just writing off Marquise Lee this year. Okay. Um, so we got to the same end. Just uh, right. <laughs> I yeah. I missed that part where he came off pup. Sorry, man. <laughs> um, but it was, it's, this is more about Shark and Pryor, who could be breakouts, I guess, on a team that had one less guy in front of them, I, I would think. Like, just looking at this from a fantasy player, Terrell Pryor under Gene DiFilippo had his best season ever as a wide receiver. Uh, you want to call it a breakout year, but it's not like he, he didn't keep up that breakout. It was. It was almost like his aberration year. Um, and then a team that doesn't have like these these big tight ends, and you know, it's, it's kind of the depth there is questionable. It seemed like a guy with his size might be able to be that tight endy big target without you know being Jimmy Graham without actually being a tight end. Um, and then DJ Chark, there was a great interview with him, I think back in May or June on the site. Um, you know, he's matured, he's bigger. Um, how, like, is this, I don't want to say it's fool's gold, but is it just kind of like, Conley and Westbrook are going to take up so much of this target share and Fournette's going to get maybe 60 to 70 that Chark and Pryor are just kind of in the wrong place at the wrong time? Or is there some hope? Uh, I think with Chark, there is hope. With Pryor, I'm a little bit more skeptical. I don't even know if Terrell Pryor makes his team, to be quite honest. Um, but first with Chark. So, yeah, last year, really rough rookie season. He was better as a gunner than as a receiver. Uh, was injured. Ended the year with like 30 targets, something like that. Wasn't very good, but... We have seen a guy 
this offseason, which was really necessary, a guy who was catching the ball with his hands, which seems ridiculous to say about an NFL receiver, but so many times last year it felt like he was catching with his body, had drops. There was a play in the end zone against Philadelphia and London where he dropped a touchdown that really would have helped them you know, potentially win that game. So, yeah, rookie season he seemed very disappointed in and really wanted to turn the page on that. And he's been really good for the most part in what we've seen from practice and that couple of times where he has just absolutely gone up and gotten the ball in the end zone. Uh, so sort of that, you know, that lack of a tight end where you're looking for red zone targets that you mentioned might go to prior. I think DJ Chark is the guy that I've sort of got him penciled in for some of those along with Conley. I think Chark makes a big jump. I don't know that I'm – his ceiling probably is a little bit lower than Conley's and his floor I think is still significantly lower. It wouldn't shock me if it's – you know, maybe year three where he really figures it out. He's a very raw guy coming out of college. He's made strides, but there's still plenty more to be made. And then with Pryor, I mean, he had a good week, I would say probably like the first week of August. We saw him doing a lot of things, but he was mostly working with the second team and backup quarterback Gardner Minshew, and he was really just cooking the backup corners. I mean, some of the young guys just had no idea what to do with his 6'4 frame, uh, couldn't keep up with him. He was Show, I mean, it was nice. He was running a lot of slants, and they started doing some go routes. It's sort of, it's like, okay, they might have actually found something here. And then he's really sort of plateaued. He had a hamstring injury, hasn't played in the preseason game, really hasn't had a lot of work with Nick Foles. And then he starts to do the roster math. It's okay, if Marquise Lee is off pup, which he is now, he's going to have a roster spot. You know that Keelan Cole, a guy that they really like, is going to have a roster spot toward the bottom. And then the big three in Chark, Conley, and DD Westbrook, it's like, okay, that's. That's five receivers right there. If they keep a six, maybe prior prior probably is around, but he doesn't play special teams for them. That's a that's a tough ask to be the you know fourth, fifth, or sixth receiver and not play special teams at all. Uh, that puts a lot more onus on some of the other guys. So to me, it's okay. Can this guy even make the roster? If he does make the roster, it wouldn't shock me if you know he does catch three or four touchdowns. But to me, I think it's you know he could be a guy that's two for seventeen in a touchdown one week and then goes a couple games without really being involved in the offense. I'm not as high on Pryor as some other people are. I know he's kind of a flashy name. He had you know the one big year that everybody's just been craving for him to get back to because he looked so good that year. I just don't really know if this is the situation where he does it, even with John DeFilippo, a guy who seems to be pretty high on him. Well, that's a shame. I'm the same way. I'm just I'm like, oh, he can do this again. He did it once out of nowhere. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh well. Um, last thing I had before we get into the, uh, getting to know Phillips section, um, Gardner Minshew, I've noticed you, you've mentioned him a lot and I think it's just by the starters not playing and him getting a lot of, a lot of time at quarterback, but I mean, it, like, no one's questioning if Nick Foles gets hurt, then what, uh, it looks like it's Gardner Minshew without, you know, like, I think in, in one of the stories you'd mentioned, they haven't brought in a veteran quarterback. People are clamoring for it. And his second game didn't exactly shut people up, but it, it helped his case. Um, if this happens, if Nick Foles gets hurt, I mean, is this Gardner Minshew? Is he is he ready to go? Is is this a situation where we're okay? We're not going to miss a step because of the same kind of – I mean, obviously no. you're going to lose a step from Nick Foles, but is he, basically is he ready if something happens? Right. Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, I think you're probably – you've got better backups around the league uh, if you're trying to target that sort of thing. With me, I've got a lot of questions about Gardner in that – I mean, he's an awesome locker room guy. I love chatting with him. He's funny. He's got the Fu Manchu and the headband. He's got this fun look to him. And he, but I just don't know if he can make the throws. Uh, he had, you know, prolific college production at Washington State last year. But there's probably a reason why he was considering going into coaching and, you know, not being a quarterback anymore when Mike Leach approached him. And that, 
there's just some really, you know, glaring flaws in his game. You just look and there's some throws that, you know, he just can't make. He just doesn't have the arm strength. If his feet aren't set, uh, he just really, really struggles. If he's within the, you know, the confines of the offense, if he can, you know, hit his back foot, make his first read, make the throw, he's fine. He's accurate. He's decisive. But when he's got a freelance, when he's got to make things happen on his own, to me, I just he just doesn't have the raw talent to do that. So that to me is a really interesting question. Would the Jaguars bring in a veteran to to back up Nick Foles? So far, they haven't. They've spoken very high, very highly of Minshew since the night they drafted him. That's basically the only time in three years that I've seen Tom Coughlin smile is when he was talking about Gardner Minshew, uh, just about his football acumen and that sort of thing. But to to me, if Nick Foles goes down, this offense could really get off track because I just I just don't see the upside there in Gardner Minshew. I think he's you know he's passable as a backup. I think I don't think that he's a guy who you're going to look up in five years and say, "Wow, he bided his time and now he's a starter somewhere." I don't think he's that quality of player. Um, and to me, if I were the Jaguars, I'd be keeping one eye out to see, okay, what sort of veteran options do become available? Could we upgrade here? Uh, ultimately, I think they still end up going with Minshew. Uh, but to me, he's just not a guy with a ton of upside. Got it. Uh, but you're right. I, there was a picture. I think one of your stories, I assume, was was a picture of Minshew getting hurt, his helmet flying, getting hit, his helmet flying off, and you see the the Fu Manchu there. And that's yeah. is there a go, is there a bottom of that goatee? He actually does have the Fu Manchu, but he does. Yeah, it's usually just the Fu Manchu. Yeah, impressive. So yeah, it's uh, it's. It's an interesting look, but uh, he does all kinds of fun stuff with the the facial hand, that sort of thing. And he's a you know really fun guy. We had a great story a couple weeks ago. Or I guess it was last week, right on Mike Leach and his uh, you know what he's like in a quarterback meeting room. I was talking to Gardner about that, and he had a lot of funny stories that uh, didn't end up in that story. But uh, but yeah, I, I mean, fun guy would be a great guy to grab a beer with. But if he comes in and meaningful games for the Jaguars this year, I think they've got some uh, some significant problems. Okay. Okay, on, on Gardner Minshew, let's move on to getting to know Philip. Uh, again, you can follow him on Twitter at Philip underscore Heilman, H-E-I-L-M-A-N, and that's Philip with two L's. Uh, just a little section getting to know you a little better. Um, number one, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? Ooh, that would probably be uh, cookies and cream. I love cookies and cream, whether it's uh, candy bars or ice cream. Number two, you're 15 years old again. Who's your celebrity crush? I'll say, even to this day, she still stands up. The reruns of Saved by the Bell, Kelly Kapowski, is pretty amazing. All right. Uh, what's your favorite band? Uh, Cage the Elephant. That's the first one we got on that one. Yeah, okay. Uh, you get home from a long day, you sit on your couch, you turn on the TV, and you put on? How I Met Your Mother. By far my favorite comedy of all time. Interesting. Uh, someone cool has five hours to spend in Jacksonville. What do you tell them to do? I'd say either uh, just something outdoors, go to the beach. There's, It's one of the great cities in that you've got a river and a beach here. Most uh, don't have both of those, but I love to be outdoors, take the dogs out to the beach. It's uh, nice to go get a cocktail and sit on the beach and listen to the waves crash. I drove through. when I, I used to live in Fort Lauderdale, moved up and down uh, driving, and I drove through Jacksonville. Like, man, this is like a, I wish I could have stopped, but we were like, we're going home. Um, yeah, <laughs> but it was you. You know, you look over when you're going over that bridge on um, on 95. Like, what? A, this is a very pretty city. It's underrated in that. Yeah, you've got you know 95 runs through it. So you've got the interstate, so you can get pretty much anywhere you want to go. You've got the river, you got the beach, the airport, obviously. So a lot of people give Jacksonville a hard time, and it's certainly got its flaws, and it's certainly got some uh, eyesores that you need to improve downtown. But if you like to be outdoors, there's all kinds of trails and public parks and that sort of thing. It is a, it's a fun place to spend a weekend. If you've got uh, some free time. 
Uh, number six, have you ever egged anything or anyone? I was actually, that's funny that you mentioned that. I was actually just thinking <laughs> about this the other day in that uh, I worked at a grocery store, Publix, here for a long time in uh, high school and early college. And I egged a friend's car one time who worked with me at Publix. And uh, what I didn't know was he was leaving his car there overnight. So the eggs baked into the paint. Like uh, <laughs> like the next morning, it was like 105 degrees and the eggs just baked right, baked right into the paint. And it cost like, I can't remember what it was. It was like 800 bucks for a completely new paint job. I had to pay for it. That's su- that sucks. Who That's knew? a lot of hours when you're bagging. <laughs> yeah. When you're bagging groceries at Publix, 800 bucks is a lot of hours, man. That's a lot. Like when you're working for the athletic, like that's no joke, right. man. 800 bucks. <laughs> yeah. um, is your toilet paper going over the top or under? Oh, definitely over the top. All right. Only, only serial killers do it under. Come on. I agree. Um, if you had to live in a U.S. city other than the one you currently live in, which one would it be? I went with Chicago when uh, when we did the beat writer. If you could cover another NFL team that you're not covering, where would you be? I said Chicago just because I think it'd be so fun. I love. I went there for a week a couple summers ago. Wrigleyville was awesome. All kinds of great, you know, drinking establishments. All kinds of history. The Bean. The you know, all kinds of stuff. It'd probably be Chicago. The weather in the winter time might be a little rough. I've gotten spoiled uh, being in this nice uh, Florida warmth, but uh, Chicago to me, great American city. Uh, what is your favorite non-NFL team? Who do you root for when it's when it's not football? Uh, the Red Sox, by far. Uh, that's my number one team. Love baseball. Baseball is my favorite sport. Uh, and the Red Sox, I just have grown up watching them my entire life. My I was born up in New England. My dad lived there most of his uh, early childhood into his adult life. So, yeah, I remember from about the time I was like five years old watching, you know, 150 Red Sox games a year. Wow. All right. Yeah, that's deep. That's deep into the Red Sox yeah. fandom. Yeah. Uh, final question. What's your favorite holiday? I love Christmas. I think it's it's just, you know, one of those great times you get to come together. You get to – I'm not great at giving gifts, but I've been married for just over a year now, so I'm quickly trying to become better at it in that uh, I found that if you aren't so great at giving your mom a gift, it's like fine. She loves you anyways. But, like, if you've got a really bad gift for your first wedding anniversary, you've uh, really got problems on your hands. You got trouble <laughs> coming at you. So uh, I enjoy I enjoy uh, giving gifts and getting better at it. So Christmas is a, a fun time, particularly now that we've got a you know a family and a couple dogs and that sort of thing. It's just a, a fun time of year to decorate the house and all that. Let me tell you what uh, that the the notebook where I keep my list of sleepers in that in that same app is a list of gifts. I just keep a running thing like, oh, she'd like this. Let me write it down. Oh, she'd like this. Let me write it down. So that's brilliant, There's, man. I, <laughs> there you go. So I've man. Got that problem. Yeah, I've got that problem all the time where I think about it, I'm like, oh, man, I was at the store the other day and I thought that'd be a great gift and I totally forget about it. But uh, yeah, I think you might be onto something there. Keep the notepad. It's the grand, you know, right when November rolls around, I just brrr, like go to Macy's, go yeah. to Amazon, whatever <laughs> I got to do. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I've got to just follow the follow the list. Oh, I remember that from June. Awesome. I love it. That's uh, literally, I've, I'm learning about life here. Fantasy, life. Uh, I think I might need to take you on as a life coach because I've. Uh, <laughs> you don't want me that as your life year, coach. That first year of marriage, man, it's tough. You learn some things that uh, you didn't know before. So, uh, but we overcame it. So we're, uh, we're trudging forward. Yeah, that's, that's all that matters. That's, that sounds yeah. very optimistic for the future, man. <laughs> trudging <laughs> might not be the right word. Hopefully my wife yeah. doesn't get this far into the podcast. We muddle through somehow. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, Philip Heilman, uh, thank you so much, man. I uh, want to give the shout out one more time to your Twitter at Philip underscore Heilman, H-E-I-L-M-A-N. Uh, he's writing actually really excellent stuff. This is 
probably somebody should jump onto the site. You're obviously already on the site. Listen to this and just click a follow under his name, especially if you're a fantasy player. What, I mean, why else would you be listening to this? But uh, there's a lot of stuff going on in Jacksonville. And I think the next two weeks when we actually see the starters play, um, you're going to get a lot of updates and stories from someone who plays fantasy and, uh, you know, knows knows our language, so to speak. Um, so thanks, Philip. Thanks a lot, man. This, this is really cool and uh, and good stuff. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Anytime uh, we can get together and talk fantasy, I'd love to do it. Hit me, dude. If you need, seriously, hit me up on Slack. Whatever you need, we're here to help. Me, Jake, Funston, Beller, the whole crew. We, we got your back. Sweet, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, uh, it's it's go time now, man. Like I was saying, a couple of, couple of drafts tomorrow night. So uh, it's that time of year. It's always great. You know football season's close when you start like actually doing your drafts with your boys and that sort of thing. Yeah, it picks up. There's definitely a pickup mm-hmm. right there. Oh, for sure. Thanks, man. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, This is this is awesome and much appreciated. Cool. No problem. Anytime.